From Parkway Church in Corona, this is the Parkway Podcast. We hope this message blesses and encourages you in your walk with Jesus. For more information on who we are as a church, you can visit our website at weareparkway.com. I love that. We're in a new series called Taking Ground, which I'm going to share about in just a moment, but good morning. How's everybody doing? How many of you enjoyed your March break? <laughs> Parents are like, no. How many are excited it's over and kids are back to school? Somewhat. All the kids are like, no. Well, it's good to be here this morning. Good to be in the house. I'm excited. I'm excited about what God's doing um, in this church. Uh, if you're listening on the podcast, welcome. It's really cool that we have people who are part of Parkway family listening in different places. It's not just here this morning, but in different places. Um, like I said, we're in a new series called Taking Ground. Um, we're looking at stories that take place in the book of Joshua. And for those of you who don't know, if you go to the Old Testament, it's in there. Actually, if you turn to the beginning of the Bible, and you open it like you would a regular book, and you turn to the sixth book of the Bible, you're going to find the book of Joshua right there. And the reason that we're in this book is because Joshua... And God's people were in a new chapter in their history, like I believe we're in a new chapter in our history. And as they needed to take ground in their land, we need to take ground in our land, metaphorically and physically, spiritually, individually, and corporately. So if you're new and you're just coming in or you haven't been tracking with us, you can go back and actually listen on the podcast. And so shout outs to the media team and Pastor Mitch for doing that for us. That is great. Um, We're going to be in Joshua chapter 2 this morning, so you get your Bibles, you can turn there. Um, Joshua is a book of conquest. It's a book of challenges. It's a book of fighting against enemies to conquer land and find rest from oppression and statelessness and slavery. It's a story of when God's people, the Israelites, were entering a new land that was promised to them after being enslaved um, by the Egyptian nation for hundreds and hundreds of years. But in order to enter into the land that was promised them, they need to to conquer the inhabitants that were occupying the land. And I believe there are inhabitants occupying territory in your lives that need to be conquering. And maybe that's that's patterns in in your thoughts. Maybe that's something in your heart. Maybe that's in your homes. Maybe that's in your neighborhoods. Maybe that's enemies in the kingdom of God, whether it's a lie that you've bought into. Maybe it's sin that you need to overthrow. Maybe it's someone in your family or someone close to you in your workplace that needs Jesus in their lives. We believe that we fight daily battles to take ground. And we believe, and I believe, that in this series, as we look at this, as we look at Joshua, we're going to be encouraged to take ground in our lives. But let me just say this. As much as we fight daily battles, the war's already been won. The war's already been won. There is victory in what Jesus has accomplished on the cross. And so while the, the war is finished, the daily battles we still need to fight for. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Joshua chapter 2, um, starting uh, verse 1 there. Next week, we're going to be in Joshua chapter 3 and 4. I'm actually really excited about that because we actually talk about when they physically cross over the Jordan River, and there's so much in the scripture. I was just looking at it again this morning, and I don't know about you, but I believe that the Spirit of God who inspired the authors to write the whole scripture can still illuminate the scriptures and speak to us today. And so even though we're in the New Testament, we're in the New Covenant, we can hang out in the Old, and there's stuff in there that are for us. And so I'm really excited about next week, but this week's really good too, Joshua chapter 2. I'm going to read it. It's going to be on the screens. It is lengthy. 
but you need to know the whole chapter in order to know what we're talking about, because if you're not familiar with the story, you're not going to know what we're talking about, okay? So Joshua chapter 2, starting in verse 1, let me just get a drink. I'm overcoming something, and uh, my voice is not quite there yet. Joshua chapter 2. Then Joshua, son of Nun, secretly sent out two spies from Shittim, said, go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and they entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Whose house are you unwilling to go to? Right? Or better yet, who's, who, who are you willing to allow into your house? Entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. The king of Jericho was told, look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who've come to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. But the woman who had taken the two men and hid, she had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, they came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly. You may catch up with them. But she had taken them up on the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax that she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. Before the spies lay down for the night, so they spent the night there, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt and what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. When we heard it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. Come on. Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I've shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and my mother, my brothers and my sisters and all who belong to them, that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. So she let them down by a rope through the window for the house she lived in was part of the city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourself there for three days until they return, then go on your way. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you've brought your father and mother and brothers and all of your family into your house, if any of them go outside of your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from this oath you've made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. When they left, they went to the hills and they stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without finding them. Then the two men started back. They went down out of the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given us the whole land into our hands, all the people 
are melting in fear because of us. Let's just pray one more time. In the name of Jesus, God, I ask that you'd open our hearts, God, to speak to us, that we'd be moved by your presence and by your word. And Lord, be with me as I speak. I pray, God, that I'd just be faithful, God, to what you've placed in my heart. But ultimately, Holy Spirit, would you speak as only you can. In Jesus' name, amen. Once upon a time, we lived in a in a small town called Stainer, which is near the Barrie area, and it's a lot like Corona. It's, it's quaint, it's beautiful, there's good people, everybody knows everybody, everybody hears what's going on quickly. There's only a couple stoplights, if I can remember correctly. Um, and it was in this small town a number of years ago that we bought our first house. Now, if you've ever bought a house before, there are things that you look for when you're buying a house, right? Like location and capacity and structure and feel, does it fit our needs? And when we found this house, our first house, we fell in love. Like any first-time homeowner, we fell in love with our home. But what we failed to do in our ignorance is actually consider the homes that were around our house. Now, as much as there was a couple homes around our house that was nice, there was actually this house on the left of us, which I guess would be your right. On the left of us was, was this quaint, cute, little white country house where this, this old woman lived, this widow woman lived. She was pushed in probably 90. And every, every fall, the leaves from her trees would fall onto our lawn. And these leaves, these trees were ginormous. I don't know what kind of trees they were because I don't think that way. I'm just like a tree is a tree to me. This is a big one. This is a small one. But there was a ginormous tree. And every fall, her leaves would fall into our lawn. And there were so many leaves. I promise you, you didn't need to rake them into a pile. You could just jump into them as they were because there were so many. And I remember our first year there, I go outside. I'm about to grab a rake and some bags to rake up these leaves. And here comes out this 90-year-old woman starts trying to rake the leaves on my lawn. And I'm like, what are you doing? Stop. And she's like, well, they're my leaves. And I'm like, that's right. You rake those leaves up. No, I didn't say that. I said, that's okay. I'll do it. And I'm thinking, I'm, I'm like 26 years old. Like, you're 90. I can do this. I got, I got energy. Um, but she was, she was like in shape for it. Like, she was just giving her. So I'm like, no, it's okay. I got it. Um, so it was a very quaint, beautiful house. But on the other side was a house that was in a little rough shape. And not only was the house in rough shape, and we didn't even notice this until we got in our house, right? We're so excited. We're in our house, and we're, we're planning, and we're setting up. And then all of a sudden, we start to notice the houses around us, especially the house next to us. Because it was in rough shape, and not only the house was in rough shape, but the people that were living in the house were in rough shape. And we found out later that the house was actually a drug house. And I shared a little bit about the guy who lived there when I was preaching the call, um, his name, I'm not going to mention his name, but he has the same name as someone near and dear to my heart, and her name is Jody. Um, and, and he actually became someone that, was, that we connected with and we got to love on, we got to, we got to spend time with. Um, and I think he befriended us because he was a little worried that we're going we're gonna to rat him out, but the cops already knew what he was doing. And literally, literally, I kid you not, twice a day in the morning, I think it was 10 or 10.30, I can't remember correctly, and around 3 a.m., I believe it was 3 a.m., twice a day, people would come to get their fix. They would come and they'd buy what they needed to buy to get their fix and they would leave. And so he befriended us, probably because he didn't want us to rat them out, but we thought, whatever, we need to be friends with the guy who's selling drugs next to our house, right? So we befriended him and he, he became someone who actually helped us out from time to time. We had a lot of snow that would fall and it'd fall on our roof and there's one part of my roof that I always had to clear it off and so he would help me there. We were both into gardening. I'm not into it anymore because I'm not really good at it, but, but I was into it and he gave me some tips and he became someone, the unlikely kind of someone that actually helped us out. 
And this is the story that we read today. The Israelites find their story intertwined with the most unlikely kind of a person who not only helps them, but whose faith in action has her going down in biblical history as a hero of the faith and whose name gets mentioned in the genealogy of Jesus. Oh, snap. Rahab is a prostitute and she's a brothel owner. She's someone whose profession was to sell her body to make a living and provide a location where others could do the same. She's not the kind of person you would think fits in the narrative of church story, right, or church history, and who is acknowledged of a hero of the faith. A hero of the faith is someone whose faith we should pattern our faith after. And in Hebrews chapter 11 in the New Testament, there's a list of these heroes of the faith who have extraordinary faith, who were called, in, in Hebrews chapter 12, it says this, since we're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, heroes, let us throw off, we talked about this last week, everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. So Rahab, the prostitute brothel owner, is a hero of the faith. And her story is intertwined with the story of the Israelites. And that's the thing about the scriptures. It's full of people, broken people, who are messed up and not just a little messed up. Right? Not just like... The, the, the stuff that we're just like, ah, it's okay, everybody does that. Like a lot of messed up people, a lot of messed up, and yet God redeems them, he works in them and through them to take ground. And I want to tell you this morning through this scripture, if you get nothing else this morning, please catch this, that God is for everyone. God is for everyone. If you're taking notes, you can write down for everyone, not just some, not just a select few, not just an elect, but for everyone. The Bible says, most famous scripture in the world, God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That none should perish, right? But whoever believes in him should have eternal life for everyone. So let's take a look at this. Joshua sends a couple spies into the city of Jericho. They would need to conquer this city to cross as they cross over into the Jordan River. In order to get into the land, they had to pass through Jericho. Now, I don't know if you've ever um, asked yourself this kind of question. I have. If you've been tracking with us, maybe you've asked this, or whenever you look at the Old Testament stories, maybe you've asked yourself this, but I love the idea that God has a plan for his people. I love the idea that God has a place for his people, that he's, he's leading them to a new land where they can take ground. But in order to do so, the people that are living there, the Canaanite people, the people that live in the city of Jericho need to be conquered and driven out. And so doesn't that kind of suck? Like why, why, why would God drive out people who already live there and occupy that space? Doesn't it seem arbitrary for God to give land to one people and eradicate an entire people group? Why would God do such a thing? It could appear, if you've asked yourself this, I have, genocidal. And these are good questions to ask, but if we're not careful and our society has done this, if they go unanswered, we can have a, a shape and a view of God which is unbiblical. Whenever we're looking at stuff like this, we can consider that God is maybe a capricious, genocidal monster as opposed to a loving father. So we must always filter these kinds of questions and this kind of curiosity through the framework of a loving God and specifically through the lens and person of Jesus Christ. 
The Bible says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. So when we encounter something in the Bible that we don't get or understand or we doubt and we're, we're questioning, we need to filter that through Jesus because he is the one, he is the image of the invisible God. And what we see in Jesus is who God is. Colossians chapter 1.15 says the Son is the image of the invisible God. So when you're like, oh, I don't like that. Okay, wait a second, there's got to be an answer. Because what I see in Jesus is who God is. So how do we answer this question? Why would a loving God drive out one group of people for another and eradicate an entire nation? First, is we need to understand that when we, the culture that we're looking at is not a 21st century civilized culture. Right? We think that sometimes. We read it through our 21st century civilized lens, right? We, we read it through that worldview, but this is not the culture that we're looking at. It's a very barbaric tribal culture. Even the Israelites, through even, the, even though the laws that they received from God were a significant moral improvement from the nations around them, they were a very tribal, barbaric nation, very barbaric tribal group. This is just the era. It's not a civilized culture. This is just history. So we can't look through it through the lens of 21st century culture. We need to look through it through the lens of a barbaric tribal culture. Secondly, and more importantly, the people in the land, the Canaanites, we're not a particularly nice group of people. They weren't innocent people subject to genocidal warfare. Secondly, sorry, that is secondly. They were wicked, immoral people, idolaters who practiced extreme forms of religious temple prostitution. They engaged in all sorts of sexual immorality from things that we find acceptable in our nation today to things like, and you can look these up later because I know there's some young ears, pederasty, bestiality, and they even practice child sacrifice. Does that sound like any cultures you know? And God was using the Israelite people to bring judgment on this nation because their sin over hundreds of years had reached its full measure. In fact, when God said to Abraham that I'm going to give you new land way back, when the promise was way back, way back, he said, yet, not yet, because the Amorite people's sin had not reached its full measure. But now it had reached its full measure. And not only was he giving the Israelites a new land, but he was judging the land for the sin that they were involved in. You tracking with me? You with me? And the city of Jericho was like the gatekeeper to that land. In order to get into the Canaanite region, they needed to go through the city of Jericho. So Joshua secretly sends out a couple spies to evaluate the land and specifically this city. Once upon a time, if you remember, a couple weeks ago, we looked at Numbers chapter 13. Joshua was one of those spies, right? When Moses had sent out 12 leaders into the, to the land to give a report and report back, Joshua was one of those spies. But this time, it's not just scout spies bringing a report back to the land, but he needs insight to plan his attack, right? He needs intel to carefully plan out his move. He's a general about to mobilize his troops, in order to make the next move and cross over and face the challenges, he needs to know the specifics about the city. See, Joshua doesn't advance without a strategy. Joshua doesn't advance without strategy. And in this house, we won't either. We will not advance without strategy. We won't just advance without considering why, what, and where. Why do we do what we do? What is the return? And we won't advance successfully if we employ strategies that are no longer effective. Once upon a time, there was a way of doing certain things that would move church forward. But we're in a new day, a new landscape, a new time, so we need 
new strategies. Old strategies don't necessarily work. What I thought when I was looking at this, Joshua didn't lean on wisdom and insight when he, from when he first spied out the land 40 years ago. He wasn't like, no, I, I know the lay of the land. I understand it. I went there 40 years ago. No, he needed new intel for a new time because things change after 40 years. So he sent out spies. New wine needs new wineskin, the New Testament says. Some things are just not as effective as they once were. So we, we may implement new strategies that are different from previous ones. And the old ones are not wrong, but we're just in a new time. We might need some new strategies, just like Joshua needed some new intel. For you and the areas of your life that you need to conquer, in your heart, in your thoughts, in your life, maybe you've been leaning on strategies that aren't working. They used to, but they don't anymore. Maybe you need some new intel. Joshua, again, didn't just scout out the land, but he targeted Jericho. He said, go into the land, especially the city of Jericho. And that made me think, once you examine yourself and you see what you need to conquer, sometimes you need to dig a little deeper to that and get specific about that thing. Right? Like, I'm addicted to, okay, now let's talk about this. Let's dig a little deeper. What, why? What are the triggers? What, what causes you to turn to this? I'm angry all the time. I need to overcome my anger. Okay, let's dig a little deeper. What makes you angry? Why do you react that way? What's going on inside your heart? We need to dig deeper. And sometimes you need some, someone from the outside to come in, whether that might just be a friend or someone within the church, or maybe that's someone professionally to help you dig deeper on some things, right? Maybe you're asking yourself, my kids need Jesus and I don't know what to do. Okay, let's dig deeper now. Let's impl implement a strategy. What have you been doing? What has turned them off, if anything? When did they turn away and why? See, sometimes in church we need new strategies to move forward. Sometimes in our lives we need new strategies to move forward, right? The landscape is different. The landscape is new. So the spies, they, they get into Jericho, obviously not undetected because the king finds out and he sends out a search party. And that just made me think, do you know what? I want, I want Corona and I want St. Clair Township to know that we're coming. Right? Like, I want, I want them to know that we're coming. I want them to know that we're here. And so I think we need to let people know. I think we need to make sure we don't go undetected. Do you know what? I was thinking about this, and I, I found out some information later. I was like, man, I hope that one day the mayor comes knocking. And I don't know who he is, but then I found out who he was. And maybe you're here today, mayor, I don't know. But I hope that St. Clair Township hears that something's happening at Parkway Church. Something's happening, that there's new life breathing to Parkway Church, that there's excitement. And they're like, what's going on? It's like, well, we're just excited about church. I hope we don't go undetected. One of the reasons, or one of the things, or one of the reasons we're doing an outreach is so we, go, we don't go undetected. We want to rub shoulders with the town, with the people, with, with people who got kids and they need, they want to give them loads of sugar because they're crazy. That's just what we do as parents. We just give our kids loads of sugar because we're crazy. But we want to rub shoulders with people. That's why we're doing a big Easter outreach. And one of the things we're actually going to do so we don't go undetected is we're actually going to put together some promo, some door hangers that each of us that are sitting here today can go and blitz our neighborhood with. You can take 10 or 15 and literally just hang on door hangers on people's doors that will give them information about our Easter outreach. It's because we want people to know. And those will likely be available in a couple weeks, I believe. We're also going to need about 40 to 45 volunteers for this event. And we're going to talk more about it next week. And we're, as we, the weeks go on, I don't know if you've tracked, but we're actually talking a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. But we need about 40 to 45 volunteers. We need everybody to come together so we can cross over and engage 
our land. You were tracking with me? So they didn't go undetected. Maybe they were amateurs, right? Maybe they're just like Joshua sent out the wrong guys and they're tripping over stuff and they're falling over stuff and, and they're making so much noise that people are like, who are these people? Obviously not people that live around here. Maybe they wanted to know, they wanted the land to know they were coming. Maybe they walked into the city with pots and pans and they're banging, making some noise and they're like, watch out, we're coming, we're coming for you. But I think maybe it was God's providence. Maybe... God wanted them to find a place that would open its doors to a couple spies. Because God's people found one friend in all of Jericho and Rahab. The prostitute brothel owner opens her house. Because I think if they went anywhere else, they would have been reported and likely put to death. See, it's not unlike God to use the most unlikely people to serve his purposes. We often think it's the put-together types. Right? We often think it's the holy people who got it together. We think, I can't be used, but I know that so-and-so can. But did you know that the Pharisees in the New Testament didn't begin the church? The religious people didn't begin the church? It was a bunch of messed up, broken sinners, tax collectors, and fishermen who began the church. Sometimes the greatest help can come from the most unlikely people, like my drug dealer neighbor. Right? And this story, it highlights their surpassing an unexpected grace of God because a Canaanite, pagan, prostitute woman, and back then women were not considered highly valued, becomes a part of God's divine plan of redemption. God is for everyone. God is for everyone. One of my favorite scriptures, and you'll probably hear me say this a lot, especially when I'm talking about vision, you'll hear me say this, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9 says, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. We're like, God, come on, come back. You're, this is taking some time, but he's not slow. Instead, he's patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Everyone to come to repentance. God is for everybody. Look at somebody and say, for everyone. So think about that person that you don't really like. Think about that person that really grinds your gears. Think about that person that you despise. Like, like actually despise. God is for that person. And he's patient with that person because he wants them to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Maybe, maybe he sent you to them. Maybe. No one is beyond the grace of God. I don't care who they are. I don't care what they've done. I don't care how they've messed up. If God can use and save Rahab, he can use and save anybody. And if God can use Rahab, he can use you. And you may be here and you're thinking, well, listen, you don't know what I've done. And you know what? I don't. But I know, I know a God who does. I know a God who knows exactly what you've done. And yet he still stretched out his arms for you on the cross. Right? Well, you're like, well, do you know what? I don't know if I can be used. You don't know how I've messed up. I don't. But I know a God who does, and he was willing to be nailed to a cross because of it. You're broken. I'm broken. I've said some people say to me this kind of jokingly. They say, well, I can't, I can't step foot in church because I'd burn up. And I've literally said to one person, I said, do you know what? That'd be really cool to see. You want to give it a try? <laughs> the church is full of broken people. You're a sinner, and I'm a sinner. But sometimes we look at the kind of sin that somebody has and we judge them differently, right? We look at someone and say, well, I don't know if they can be used. You don't know what they've been doing. I know. But who have we dismissed because of what we see in them? 
a prostitute like Rahab? Drug addict? I tried drug once. I still do if you count Tylenol, but I stay away from caffeine because that stuff is addictive. (laughs) How about a drunk? How about a glutton? I can still be a glutton. The Mandarin buffet is really tempting. I don't know if you have one around here, but when I get step foot in that place, there's just something that just screams five plates of food to me, right? Did you, did you, did you ever catch that in churches we, we accept gluttony, but we don't accept other sins? Oh, look at what they're doing. You just ate like 17 plates of food at the Mandarin. You're just as bad because there are people that are starving in our world, like actually starving, not the kind of hunger that you're like, man, I'm starving. No, we're, you're not starving. If you've eaten anything today, even a cracker, there's people that are starving. Maybe we've dismissed a liar. I, confession, I lie to my kids sometimes. I got a five-year-old, a three-year-old, and a five-month-old. I told my boys they wanted to hear a story the other day. We didn't have any books to read before we went down to bed, and I had to make one up on the spot. And so I told them a story about the Easter Bunny, how the Easter Bunny was born in a chocolate factory in an Easter egg. And that's not how the Easter Bunny was born. I don't know how the Easter Bunny was born, but that's not how he was born. How about a thief? Have we dismissed a thief? How about the transgendered person? How about the gay person? How about the religious guy that stands at the street corner and shouts out, God hates sinners? See, I'm not saying that these people aren't sinners. I'm saying we all are. And I'm not saying that we accept their sin. I don't accept your sin. I don't accept my sin, but I accept you. And we'll talk a lot about sin. Sin is a big deal. It nailed Jesus to the cross. But I hope that these kind of people find a home in our church. Because you found a home in our church. And you're broken. And you're a sinner. And I found a home in this church, and I'm broken, and I'm a sinner, and I'll be the first to admit it, right? Who have we dismissed because of where they come from, what they've done, or what they're involved in? God is not beyond using messed up, broken, sinful people. In fact, he does it all the time. God used a prostitute in his plan of redemption. And a prostitute got named in the genealogy of Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, a prostitute brothel owner. Now, here's what I love about this story. Here's Rahab's confession to the spies in verse 9. She says this, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us so that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Catch this, verse 10. We have heard, we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came up out of Egypt. And what you did to Shion and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, whom you completely destroyed. And when we heard it, our hearts melted in fear, and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. See, Rahab's faith was based on what she had heard God was doing through the Israelite people. She heard the parting of the Red Sea. She heard how they conquered the Amorite kings in the wilderness. She didn't know the law. She didn't know the Ten Commandments, right? She didn't know what was considered sin and what wasn't sin. She didn't see the miracles, yet she still believed that the God of the Israelites was the God of heaven and on earth because of what she heard. See, faith isn't seeing. Faith isn't knowing what's right and wrong. Faith is believing in what God has done. Rahab heard what God was doing through the Israelite people, and it made her evaluate her current situation. 
because of what God was doing among a different group of people, she considered whether or not she was on the winning side. And so I thought, what is God doing in and around your life that is making people turn their heads? What is God doing in and around my life that is making people turn their heads? Do they see something on us that makes them reevaluate the way that they live? I love what, what Paul said to the church in Corinth. He said this. He says, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, although I think he probably was wise and persuasive, but a demonstration of the Spirit's power. See, we need a Spirit-led activity in and around our lives that causes others to, to notice. And look, it doesn't need to be kooky. It doesn't need to be crazy miraculous. It doesn't need to be a calming of a physical storm where the, the, the clouds part and God's voice shines through. It doesn't need to be that. Supernatural, I say this all the time, the supernatural happens very naturally. Like this morning when someone heard something from God. It's just simple, simple word. It happens very naturally. It could be joy in your life when there should be despair. And people are like, why are you joyful? I know what's going on in your life. You should be in despair. It could be radical change, turning from how you used to be to being a little bit more like Jesus. And people are like, wait a second, I know how you used to be. What's going on? It could be unimaginable generosity. It could be doing things that seem a little countercultural that cause people to say, why would you do that? Why would you do that? It could be new life breathed into a church and excitement about what the future holds that causes a community to say, what's going on there? We just say, yeah, we're just excited about God. We're excited about church. We're excited about what's happening. Her faith was not based on what she saw and her, or her knowledge of the law, but about what she heard God was doing through others. No one is beyond God's reach. God is for everyone. God is for everyone. So she says to the spies, when you come and your army comes, show me kindness because I've shown you kindness. You scratch my back and I'll scratch yours. When I was a little kid, me and my sister used to do this. We'd take turns using back scratchers and scratching each other's back. So, so the spies agreed to her request and they gave her some conditions to be met. The first was this. She's, she had to distinguish her house from all the other houses by hanging a scarlet cord out her window during the battle. Does that sound familiar to you? See, when God was leading the Israelite people out of Egypt and God was using Moses to bring a message to Pharaoh, he brought miracles. He brought plagues to turn Pharaoh's thinking. And with each plague, every time Pharaoh hardened his heart, with each plague, it progressively got worse and worse until the final plague, which was the death of all firstborn children in the land of Egypt. But God said to the Israelites, he says, take a lamb without defect, take a perfect lamb and sacrifice it then take the blood and paint the doorways red somebody's gonna go home and paint their doorways red today right paint them red and then when the angel destroyer will come he will pass over any doorway that was coated in the blood in the same way Rahab was told by the spies to hold a scarlet cord a rope out her window to distinguish her home from all the other homes, so the army would pass over her home when they came to battle. This foreshadows what Jesus does for us. You're with me. He was the lamb without defect, perfect sacrifice for us, and his blood painted your sin-stained heart. He is the scarlet cord hanging out the window for you so that our sins would be covered and we would be passed over at judgment. Come on, people. 
Jesus is in every passage of scripture. When Jesus rose again, he was walking along a road to Emmaus with a couple of disciples. They didn't recognize him because he appeared differently. He's just walking with them. And it says that he showed them through all the scriptures, everything that was pertaining to him. And by that time, there was no New Testament. It was just the Old Testament scriptures. It was, the, it was the, what the law and the, the prophets had spoken. The spies here were doing the same thing that had been done for them, the same thing that Jesus does for us. The second thing that she had to do is her family must be inside the house during the battle. It says this, verse 19, chapter 2. It says, if any of them go outside your house into the street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. See, if you don't come under the covering of Jesus, you're not safe from judgment. And the blood isn't on his head. It's not on my head. It's on your head. It's on your own because you've been offered the free gift of Jesus' salvation for your sins. It's free. It's saying, get in the house. Get in the house and you'll be safe when the army comes. It's the same thing. It's the same thing that we're offered. Your sins have tarnished you. They've separated you from God. Come to the house. There's, there's safety. There's safety. But if you choose... If you choose not to enter the house, if you choose not to enter the covering, the blood is on your own head. Third thing, she must not later turn on the spies. There needed to be devotion. And what I thought was these conditions were not a prerequisite. They were something she did as a result of her faith, right? If she didn't do them, there wasn't faith. It was the fruit of the change that already occurred in her life not the tools for the change. You track with that? It was her faith in action. See, we don't do anything to earn salvation. We don't do anything to acquire it. It's already been done, but the result is found in the fruit. You wanna know if someone's saved? Look at the fruit. You wanna know if God's moving in someone's life? Look at the fruit, because the result is found in a fruit. Just like Rahab, there are markers, identifiers of a person who has received salvation. I say this a lot. If there isn't change in your life, then there wasn't change in your life. Right? If there's not change happening around and in your life, then there wasn't change in your life. So what change is happening in and around your life as a result of your faith? I know that's sobering. Where is your faith in action? What is God doing in and around you and your life that is, that is causing others to turn their heads? Sometimes it can be super simple, super simple. Just before we pray, I wanna pray before we go. What I love about the story of Rahab is that it shows that no one is beyond grace. No one is beyond redemption. Even that person that you think is, they are not. No one's sins and brokenness have excluded them from God's plan. God is for everyone. Come on, God is for everyone. What Jesus did on the cross to sacrifice the blood was powerful enough for everybody. Every sin, every messed up person, every brokenness, his blood was powerful enough. No one is beyond the reach. No one. So when you go today, Know that when you walk and you encounter and you work alongside someone that is super messed up, God is for them. God has a plan for them. And he can weave them into his redemption and into his plan of redemption. 
and into God's story, just like he weaved Rahab into the story of the Israelites, into our redemption, so that now we look at her story today and learn from it. And we look at her faith and we learn from it. And not only that, does not only is he powerful enough for everyone, but he uses them for great purposes. So maybe you're here today and you think God can't use you. You're wrong. I don't even know you, <laughs> but you're wrong. Maybe he'll use you differently than he uses me. Maybe he'll use you differently than he uses Pastor Mitch. Maybe he'll use you differently than someone that's greeting at the door, someone's in the back, maybe someone that's collecting offering. Maybe he'll use you differently, but he can use you. But he can use you. And he has a plan and purpose for you. See, there's, there's, a, there's a pattern of faith where it's not just about coming to know God and being free from sin. That's the first step, but then it's stepping into our purpose, finding our purpose, discovering our purpose so that we can go and make a difference and make disciples for the kingdom of God. He can use you. And in fact, I think he uses your brokenness and he uses your sin and he makes it a platform. Because more often than not, it's my brokenness and my sin, the things that God has freed me from, that he uses to help somebody else. It's the craziest thing. I'm like, hey, I get it. I'm there. I've been there. Let me tell you my story. God can use you. God has a purpose for you. And you may not see it, but he sees it. He sees it. So know that this morning. Know that this morning. God is for everyone. And God has a purpose for everyone. Amen? Let me pray with you before we go. Father, I'm so thankful that you are a good God, that you're a loving Father, and that you have purposes and plans for each and every single one of us here, God. Lord, plans to save us, plans to redeem us, plans to use us, God. And as we look to the story of Rahab, we see, God, that you are for everyone, that no one here is excluded. No one here is excluded, God. You are slow and patient, desiring all come to salvation, God. And so maybe there's somebody here today that needs salvation. I pray that you touch their heart. That in right now, in this moment, they'd cry out to you. They'd say, do you know what? I need that Jesus in my life. I need that. I need salvation, and I need redemption. And I pray, God, that you take people here. Maybe they've already experienced that, but they feel like they can't be used. I pray that you'd speak to their heart and say, I can use you, and I have a plan for you, and I have a purpose for you. And God, maybe there's some of us here today. We've been doing this church thing for a long time. Would you stir something up in us, God, that causes others to reevaluate what's going on in their lives? Would you do something at Parkway, God, that causes Karana and St. Clair Township in this region to consider their way of life, God? Would you stir us up in the name of Jesus? Would you work in our lives just how you worked in Rahab's life? And so I pray in the name of Jesus, you bless every life here, every person. I pray you touch every person. I pray you speak to every person. And we'd all find our place within your redemption, God, within your redemptive story, intertwined in the story of God. Because we all have a plan. We all have a purpose in you. Bless you, God. We honor you. Thank you so much for listening to our message. If you liked what you heard, we would love to have you join us on a Sunday morning at 10 a.m. If you would like to know more about us as a church or to know where we are located, you can visit our website, weareparkway.com.